You've played the missions, but do you really know the lore? We are here to be your guides. Your guardians. This is Guardians of Lore. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, Guardians. Welcome to Guardians of Lore. This is episode 144, recorded April 26th, 2022. The topic for this evening is the seasonal quest lore book, Quintessence. In case you couldn't tell, I'm your host this time, and I am Elemist. Hi, I'm Orchid. Hey, Orchid. Hello, Elemist. It's been so long. My god, it has. When was the last time we recorded? I swear it was last month. <laughs> no, it, it's been about two weeks oh okay i have a really short memory so i don't remember anymore i pulled up the notes from from episode 143 and it was two weeks ago okay um i'm glad so we've got some podcast info we encourage feedback that can be sent to us on twitter at guardians underscore lore at hey it's orchid or at i underscore am underscore elemist you can email us at guardians underscore lore at outlook.com you can leave us a review wherever you find the podcast. And if you do, let us know about it. We like reading it. We like improving. You can even do it on Spotify. Yeah. For some reason. Good job, Spotify. Yeah, like we can't say fuck Spotify anymore. Yeah, you can. Fuck Spotify. <laughs> uh, you could also jump into our Discord. The invite is down in the episode description. But if you want to just type it all out, it's discord.gg slash lorehub. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit ko-fi.com slash guardians underscore lore. Every little bit helps. And we greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much, finger guns. Yes, thank you so much, finger guns. <laughs> you know what? I'm trying, okay? <laughs> uh, we, we greatly appreciate all the help. You can also find our info on lorenetwork.com alongside many impressive lore content creators. Wait for it. We're still there. There it is. <laughs> and so we have a section here called Letters from the Postmaster. We actually had a donation from Boss Sim 99 with the, the note saying, keep up the great work. Thank you so much for your generosity. We, we really appreciate it. We truly appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. All of your donations help Alamist pay for this podcast, which he's been doing since the very beginning, because he's the one with senior money bags. It's not me. I'm a scientist. We don't get paid anything. I mean, we do. It's not slave labor. I've got a piggy bank that I, I'm able to smash open. I don't. <laughs> but no, we, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you. So this week at Guardians of Lore, the Twoggle. We finally hit 100,000 listens across all our episodes. Let's go. Next goal is 150,000. Now we have goals. <laughs> what? It's, it's more like Pinecast. <laughs> the, the people that we host our stuff with, uh -huh. they set up goals. And they're like, hey, you oh. finally hit 100,000. Next goal is 150,000. Cool. Let's hit 150,000. Do you know what would really help? Just tell a friend. 
tell them, hey, do you know what? There's this lore podcast you should listen to. It's called Guardians of Lore. It's super fun. Just tell them about it. And then they'll start at episode one for some reason. <laughs> right. Or like some people have been doing lately, which is listen backwards. I'm like, don't do that, because then it's going to get worse as you progress along. Like, <laughs> if you're going to listen to it, I guess, like, listen to it from the beginning, because then you'll be like, wow, you guys have improved so much. Like, the quality is just like chef's kiss. It's just gotten so much better. Whereas if you start on Italian hands. Wow, I take offense to that. You should. But you're right. Uh-huh. But you're right. Uh-huh. You know. Instead of listening to, you know, starting with episode 144, listening all the way back to episode one and going, what is this shit? <laughs> what is this shit? Exactly. Who are these other people on this podcast? <laughs> They're the Hyvens. We miss them greatly. Hi, Mr. and Mrs. Hyvin. We wouldn't be this... Dis- I miss you. We wouldn't be this derailed by Hi- if Hyvin was here. No, he wouldn't take this shit. Yep. <laughs> He'd be like, can we get going? Why are we still talking? <laughs> Guys, I'd like this episode to be less than two hours. Yeah, about that. Uh, th- this podcast wound up being a little over two hours when I got handed the raw files. <sighs> of course, this shit went off the rails. It's us. What did you really expect? Yeah, whereas, guys, come on. Whereas the other three of us have ADHD, so, like, we're just gabbing. Oh, my God. <laughs> Mrs. Hyphen and I would be like, this new nail polish that we've been using. <laughs> Right. She'd be like, have you seen the Halo OPI collection? I'd be like, yes, I have. I have seen it was the Xbox OPI collection. But I have on my desk, I have heart and console. It's this really cute kind of like coral red sparkly number. It's very pretty. I think they still have it. You can get it at Ulta and on Amazon. I don't know if they have it anywhere else. You guys should get it. Sorry. And I wouldn't know. Mrs. Ivan's not here. Mrs. Ivan's not here. Sometimes I got a nail polish talk. <laughs> all right. I miss Mrs. Ivan, all right. Miss her so much. <laughs> My heart is big sad. I, I, I miss her too. Uh, you just, you saw her like last week. Miss her. No, it's God. it's been about a month. Oh my god, that's so long for you. What? With my memory issues, that is. Oh my god. Your memory issues and my memory issues. How do we even get through this podcast? A lot of notes. I heard there was a big web lore drop since we did this podcast last. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was the collector's edition uh, ARG. It was cool. We'll be covering that sometime in the future. Yeah. In an episode or two or three. Super long. So I've read it. I was a part of it. If you had the collector's edition, you should have scanned your postcard because that would have helped. Um, all the deciphering and stuff took forever. But uh, they finally put all of that online like a week ago or two weeks ago. But yeah, um, if you've read it, it's really good. You should go read it. It's on Bungie.net. Heck yeah. Um, we, we will cover it. Yeah. It's super long, though. Eventually. It's going to take us forever to cover it all. Yeah. Well, we will cover it, though. 
We'll definitely cover it. You know what else we're not going to really cover a whole lot? Sandbox changes. Oh my God, all the sandbox changes. Oh my God, there's so many. It was like 9,000 words of gun changes. And I'm like, Chris Proctor, how do you write so much? Right. And probably he's like, because I'm Australian. You know, good day, Vegemite. (laughs) (laughs) Australian words. (laughs) But seriously, please go read the club for details. Or listen to our friends Um, over at Massive Breakdown for all your gun needs. Oh my gosh, that's such a good podcast. You should definitely go listen to them. But there's like a couple of really good changes. The airplay changes are going to be super, super massive um, for certain builds. So like hunters, I'm so sorry, but your stompies are going to be garbage. (laughs) Like I saw that for crucible changes and I'm like negative 50. Oh gosh. Oh yikes. Stompies. Oh no. (laughs) Right. Oh, no. Hunters, why? Like, I feel like hunters are the only class that got, like, the short end of the stick for this. And it's because everyone uses stompies because they're so good. Like, everything else is... No one uses anything else. I beg your fucking pardon? As one of your dearest friends who happens to be a hunter main... Name me the last time you saw me wearing stompies. My lies and slander, I swear. Everyone uses stompies. You know what? Like, low-key, just use frosties. Frosties are super good. Like, no one uses them. I know one person uses frosties. Is it me she's talking about? Because I've been known to use frosties every once in a while. And see, that's more of a PVE thing. And see, you're looking specifically at the PvP stuff. The one thing I'm excited about, mm-hmm. they're bringing Xenophage back to where it was before all the nerfs. Yay, a nerf! A nerf Xenophage! And I'm pretty sure that's because they nerfed it and they were like, we don't want it to be the answer to everything. And then nobody used it. And they're like, well... That's because Xenophage just fired so slowly. Right. It, it felt so awkward. And it just... It, it still did good DPS, but it was just... It was easily outclassed at that point. I mean, I used Xeno a lot because it was like the weapon to use, you know? So everyone was using it. But I'm really glad that they are kind of bringing it back to where it was. And it'll be good. It'll be good to have it back. So hopefully everyone who didn't have it before the nerf will now enjoy a nerfed Xenophage. So it'll be good. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. Oh, this next bullet's going to be really hard. Yeah. To talk about. So uh, by the time this episode comes out, the announcement will have already been made. So I'm okay talking about this. But um. After six years of Focus Fire Chat, Blue and I had the discussion that we're not going to come back in May and we are just going to not have the podcast anymore forever. And so we are saying goodbye to Focused Fire Chat. So this will be the only lore podcast that I do. I mean, besides like Destiny Lore Audiophile, but that's not, it's like not a lore podcast. That's different. This is your only lore podcast and the other one is a lore audio book. That's true. 
that's yeah hey guys future orchid here we've finally announced the end of focused fire chat and it doesn't feel real honestly i thought i'd have a few more days before the real announcement went up but i did not uh it was like bam posted Lou was always super efficient um Elmist and I had our thoughts during the podcast recording before Blue and I announced it officially. But listening back, it just doesn't feel right to release those. Uh, instead, I just want to thank everyone at Focused Fire Chat for giving me the opportunity to join such a wonderful cast. Uh, Blue and Green, uh, I told myself I wasn't going to cry. Not going to do it. Um, you are both my dear friends. And I'll never forget the time we spent together uh, exploring the lore that brings games and people together. I feel as though our friendships grew deeper. Uh, so did my appreciation for how hard the two of you worked on FFC that no one ever saw. Um, we actually, as an aside, uh, we had this chat in Discord called Super Secret Sneaky Club. Uh, and it was always just like absolutely popping off whenever someone had ideas. And honestly, it could have been called something else, like anything else, like focused fire chat, chat. But it, I just liked the name because it was, it was really silly. It has like a little picture of like Lemonhead. It's, 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 I don't know, it's ridiculous. It's just, it's the humor the two of them had. Um, it's, it'll be one of my very silly memories of doing this podcast, I think. <laughs> but um, thank you to all of you also that supported the podcast. And thank you to everyone who came to our live chats every Friday night. Um, to people who would just randomly pop up in Twitch chats that I was in watching my friends stream and say hi to me and say they heard the podcast and welcomed me with like such warmth. Um, joining FFC was super nerve-wracking and brought with it a real sense of crushing imposter syndrome and anxiety for me. Um, FFC was this very like big behemoth of a lore podcast with this like very large legacy to it. And um, I never felt as though I really did it justice. So I hope I did in the end. Um, so told myself I wasn't going to cry. From the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for sharing this journey with me, with us, and supporting Focused Fire Chat for the last six years. And for one final time, with wisdom we conquer, stand strong, stand tall, and keep exploring. Thanks, guys. I'm going to miss you. All I'm going to say is it it is heartbreaking, but I think that this is the better move. Blue and Green and Justin and, and Beard, when he was on it, they inspired Hyven and myself to start this podcast. You know, they were our inspirations when we first started. Things happen for a reason. I'm, I'm going to stick by that. And at the end of the day... I, I'm just thankful for the opportunities and support that FFC, you know, blue, green, and everybody gave I'm us. I'm not crying. You're crying. 
So, um, yeah, <laughs> I know everything will be fine. Doesn't mean it's not sad, but I'm not gonna miss it. Hey guys, it's Rendell. So before we get back to the podcast, I wanted to hijack it for a second just because I've got a couple of words of my own to say on FFC. I really started getting into Destiny lore proper, you know, really deep into the who's, the what's, the why's of this universe in early 2017. I'll keep things brief, but tragedy befell me and my wife, Sammy. And I won't go into the specifics, but I went real, real low. Destiny was my escape. And even then, Focused Fire Chat was a shining beacon in those days. It was a spot where I could go and escape everything that I was dealing with for a little while, in the very least. Luckily for me, things got better. A couple of years later, I ended up being casted onto the Termino Project, and given that Green was involved in both that and Focused Fire Chat, it was only natural that I got invited on at some point. I had the distinct pleasure of being able to look into the Pigeon and the Phoenix, and I'll admit, being on that podcast that I had listened to so many times before, it was nerve-wracking. But Blue and Green were so warm and so welcoming, and they made me feel right at home. Soon after that aired, I ended up getting involved in the lore space in a lot of ways myself, many of which our regular listeners are going to be all too familiar with. But I guess if I'm trying to say anything at all, it's that if I've been able to make any kind of an impact within this little community of ours, it's because Focused Fire Chat led the way. Were it not for Blue and Green, I wouldn't have the privilege of getting to edit this show for you all every week. Certainly I know that I wouldn't have some of my dearest friends who I can't really imagine life without, and there's a whole slew of wonderful memories that I know I wouldn't be able to cherish. So thank you, Blue, and thank you, Green, and everyone else who was involved over six wonderful years. Warm days and pleasant nights to you all, though I'm pretty sure that Blue would say in response, and may you have twice the number. It hurts in the moment to be saying goodbye. And I know that I'll be looking back on FFC with a smile on my face. Now, back to the show. Click, save yeah. me with a lore network ad. Thank you. Absolutely. The lore network. Have you ever wished that someone could just read you the lore? 
Destiny Lore audio file may be just the podcast you've been looking for. Join us as we bring the stories of Destiny to life, with straight readings of your favorite lore, with no analysis or commentary, or as we breathe life into these tales with acting, sound effects, and music. Currently, you can find Destiny Lore audio file on Podbean, Spotify, and iTunes at Destiny Lore audio file. Audiophile is spelled with a PH instead of an F. You can find both readings and radio dramatizations of selected lore books and web lores by talented voice actors from the Destiny community. Episode releases will be announced from our Twitter pages, at HeyIt'sOrchid and at RendellZivas, so be sure to follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single performance. See you there. So how was that Lord Network ad? I'm still crying. Didn't do anything. Brought me to tears. Well, I mean, when it's that good, you you can't help but cry. <laughs> so brief intro to the topic. This book is the companion to the seasonal story for Season of the Risen. Each entry was obtained from listening to the recordings after each weekly quest. Orchid, would you like to start us off? Oh yeah, we have to talk about what what we did in in each week, huh? Yep. Oh crap. So, in week 1, we discovered that the hive have the light and we're working with Kaidol's forces to interrogate them. Crow doesn't like that. And I am totally with Crow on this. Um, I didn't like it either. He's just like, this some bullshit. And I'm like, yeah, I know, Crow. I'm with you. You're my <laughs> sweet baby. And uh, like, I hate everything about all of this. <laughs> like, seriously. Wow. I know. Crow's, I know. I'm like complete 180 on Crow at this point. Like, complete 180 i don't know what happened it snuck up on me this season and all of a sudden he's like my sweet baby and i will like protect him <laughs> like hardcore protect like two c's honestly i think it's it's everything from last year you think so i think all the story last year made you start seeing him in a different light and now I don't think so. I think it's him being like super mad at Saladin because I don't like Saladin anymore because Saladin's like a big load of bullshit now. <laughs> so essentially it's a, a common enemy. <laughs> it's it's me not liking Saladin drop kicking a scion off the side of the wall and I'm still big mad about that. Oh, I am too. So whenever I saw him in the tower, I'm like, I hate you so much. Like get the hell out of the salad bowl. Like I'm going to drop kick you off the tower. Oh, like get away i completely agree i i saladin has lost it for me yeah anyway i'm gonna read this first one one pith kaidal's feet stubbornly refused to touch the floor she at least the loose approximation of her body floated inelegantly in the scion's mindscape she reached out for purchase as a bit of geometry drifted by, but her hands were as intangible as smoke. She growled. Can you increase the clarity? She spoke aloud. An indignant chirp filled her mind, a flutter of yellow, the tensile sensation of bending green wood. 
Then try harder, she said, not without affection. The floor of the mindscape buckled and then rose to meet her. There was no sensation as she stood upright. She took a step. The space swirled around her, dense, gaseous, like walking inside a headache. She peered into the gray, unimpressed. Her tour of the arena where the Guardians and Lucent Hive would fight was proving disappointing. Is this all there is? The Scion sent her a telepathic explanation. Hosting lightless beings in a Scion's mindscape was like holding up a hazy mirror, reflecting what was held inside. It would be different, more tangible for the Lucent Hive, for the Guardians. For those with the light. She sighed, and as she did, a yellow glow lit the mist around her. She turned. Far above her manifested the immense visage of Dominus Gaul. Dirty white storm clouds swirled to form the peaks of his armor. He burned with light from within, triumphant even in defeat. She shook her head. A guardian with a synaptic spear would be able to destroy this aspect. But she was lightless and could never share the mindscape with another. She looked up at Gaul's beatific face with rising anger, ashamed that her image of him was so magnificent. The scion sent her a sharp warning in response. Regret. Guilt. Danger. She understood. You face what you bring with you. Gaul's image parted, revealing Torbottle shining proudly in the night sky. Kaedal tried desperately to change her focus. She willed into being Ignovan in his ridiculous tusked helmet. Commander Zavala and his cohorts, the holders of the Blood Treaty, but they were faint and small against the open sky. She searched herself for strength, but Umunarath's form rose unbidden before her, blood pouring from her wounds, howling in victory. Kaedal drew back. Torbottle withered in the sky, its greens and blues fouling to reds and blacks. Kaedal choked on the stench of corpses piled on fields of ash, seas clotted with rot. Dark smoke poured from her dead world and framed the screaming face of Zebu Arath. And something loomed from behind it, something she knew. Zivu Arath towered in the sky, and now her father's corpulence spread to contain all she could see. His finery was tarnished. His purple silks dripped with rank saliva. His gold armor caked with pus. His form swelled grotesquely as it surged towards her. His wet mouth opened, lips slick with sweet fat. His bulging eyes stared wildly at nothing. She saw the floor of the mindscape rise and transform into a barrier. The scion was attempting to block Callus out. No, she commanded, her voice tight. The barrier dissipated. She walked closer, moving to meet Callus's figure. The floor reformed tentatively beneath her feet. 
Callus bellowed, and for a moment she was a flea on her father's enormous body. She moved through his cloudy form within his flesh, the air thick with the rancid stink of wine and blood and vomit. She fought her way inward through the billowing foulness of him, pushing deeper against the gagging smother of his heat. Her form began to lose definition. It threatened to be absorbed by the fetid system around her, and still she fought, and still she fought, until she reached the center where a form stood at peace in brilliant clarity. Her tusks studded with gems, her armor glorious, her eyes clear, her muscles strong. There you are, Kaido whispered and smiled at herself. This is some interesting imagery. It really is. I like how they actually bring it up. The fact that, you know, you face what you bring with you. Mm-hmm. So, like, she's thinking about all the past emperors. Essentially, like, she's having to deal with all of the loss and everything that, that's happened lately. It's like she has to live in the moment and put away all the bad kind of to me is what it looks like like she's you know got to repress those those negative emotions not repress them like she has to accept them i could see that to me her walking through her father it in order to see herself in such a shining form with like standing at peace in brilliant clarity studded with gems her armor glorious eyes clear muscles strong like she's seeing herself at her best self like within her father so she's kind of conquered herself and she sees herself like within her father so like maybe she sees that she has her father's inner strength or she's a part of her father because i think like maybe at the end of the day she is like yeah my dad sucks but maybe I have like a little bit of that peace or a little bit of that strength that he had at one point. Yeah. Like say what you want about Callus, but he did have strength. Yeah. I mean, he also had sweet meats. Like, let's be real. There it is. And it me my sweet meats. <laughs> the only other thing I wanted to cover is that this is the first introduction to the Scion Mindscape. I mean, we've, we've, had a few introductions before like during captain's log where they were just talking about it but this is the first time we're actually seeing inside it they we did we talked about it before um in captain's log i think they referenced it before right right, right because how the scions the scions are connected mm-hmm. together in their weird mindscape how they can uh kind of talk to each other through their mindscape Right? Yes. I think that's how it is. And a lot of that was because Callus was linking Scions and Scorn together to deal with the um the Crown of Sorrow so that he could talk to whatever the the dark entity was. So should I continue on? Yeah, please do. So for week two, we find out that 
a room in the home was built specifically for dealing with psychic warfare. And it housed the scion that is actually being referenced in this book. Yes. Also, um, I just as like a note about the room in the helm, I like to get up on top of the little light in the center because if you look at the top, there's like topography scrawled on the lights on the ceiling, like a topographic map. I, I don't know if it's like supposed to be like a map of like a mind, but it's like an actual topographic map. And I think it's kind of cool. So I'm just like, hee hee hee. Huh. Because, you know, like, I, I'm a, I mean, I'm a geologist, like, I have a degree in geology, so I, like, looked at it, I'm like, ha maps. At this point, Lol. what don't you have a degree in? <laughs> I have so many degrees, you have no idea. But I'm like, I was sitting there looking, I'm like, oh, look, maps. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, look at the, like, lights next time you're up there. Like, I thought it was kind of cool. Okay. But it's like a little, it's like little details, like little cool details. Maps. Maps are cool. Yeah. Sorry, I'll let you read. I thought that was neat. <laughs> You're good. And this is two, devotion. You brought your own cup. Devram smiled awkwardly after asking the question. A tea set balanced delicately beside him on the split log he used as a seat. From the other side of the campfire, Saint-14 looked comically oversized as he cradled a blue and white ceramic teacup in one large hand. His helmet was off, set in the dirt beside his feet. A slow smile crept across Saint's mouth as he looked at the cup. Not that I mind, Devram continued and motioned with his own teacup. It's just, normally people don't come this prepared for afternoon tea. Although, yours looks like it's, uh, seen a few fights. Though Devram chuckled, his assessment was accurate. Saint's teacup was chipped around the brim. The handle had been broken off at one point and crudely glued back into a place. Saint laughed to himself. It is a memento, he said. The cup is nothing special, just ceramic and paint. But it is the damage that makes it important. He finished his tea and offered the cup out to Devram, who carefully took it to inspect. I forget where I got it. Set on a shelf in my home long before Osiris and I lived together. Before he was exiled. One day, he barges into my home, looking for an argument. Saint said, watching Devram. Osiris, he gets very heated when he is angry. Arms like this. Saint waved his arms around in pantomime. Very animated. Devram laughed as he handed Saint's teacup back. That sounds about right. We argue very loud. He accidentally knocks my teacup off shelf. Breaks it, Saint said, lowering his voice. The argument stops. We both feel bad. Osiris apologizes. I apologize. Then... Saint stared into the fire. 
Then he touches my cheek. His eyes see things that words cannot. He leaves. I sweep up the shards, and... Saints of voice trailed off into nothingness. The amusement left Devram's eyes as he looked down into the rippling surface of his tea. How is he? It was the question Devram had been too afraid to ask. Saint's shoulders slouched in response, and that was almost all the reply Devram needed. Not good. Saint quietly confessed. He is alive, but his body is there. His mind is not. It is like he is on a journey and cannot find his way home. Or... Saint shook his head. He honestly wasn't sure. No one was. Devram set his teacup down on the log. He rose and crossed the distance to Saint, and then laid a hand on the titan's shoulder. Devram looked into Saint's vibrant, mechanical eyes with sympathy. Mark and I are having Saraya over for dinner tonight, he said with a small, hesitant smile. I know it's short notice, but you should come. I... Saint looked away. I shouldn't. I should be with Osiris, in case he... Osiris has many people waiting by his side tonight. He isn't alone. You shouldn't be either. Devram pressed as he let his hand slip away from Saint's shoulder. Dinner, please. Saint stared down at the chips in his teacup and fell deeper into the memory of that day. He would give anything to be able to live it over again. To have Osiris by his side. To have something as simple as the touch of his hand on his cheek. But that day isn't today. Okay. Saint whispered. And it may not be tomorrow either. No, that's so sad. Holy crap. Oh, my heart. Oh, I'm, I'm tearing up on that one. <sighs> my boys. No. My heart hurts so bad. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. It hurts. It hurts so bad. Okay, so... We have Osiris is in like a hardcore coma. He is just like lost to us because it's just an, it's just an empty shell at this point. Like Osiris is just gone. Yeah. Which we were all afraid of anyway. Like, is he dead? We don't know. Like, I'm hoping there's going to be some like he miraculously comes back. We don't know, though. Who, it's, who fucking knows? It, it's a convenient way to kill off a character but bring them back if the story fits yeah like and also it has like saint being real sad yeah like sad boy saint which just like tears at your heart and you're like oh, oh my god yes sad boy saint no well and and, and hurt stop and on that same note like it also paints saints motivations mm-hmm you know, th this is character building for Saint as well. Right. So it's just, I got like halfway through the, the sad portion of it. And I just, 
I started tearing up and I'm sitting here going, no, no, not yet. Not yet. Yeah, exactly. Because I, I feel for Saint. I mean, I do, too. I mean, he, I do, too. He's, he's my favorite character in case nobody could tell. But like for him to feel this way, like he's he's pretty much trying not trying to isolate himself, but that is the byproduct because he just he wants to be there when Osiris wakes up and he doesn't know when that's going to be. And I, I can understand how he feels like if it was my partner, you know, my my loved one who was in a coma, I I would be right by their side the entire time. So, like, I completely understand. But I mean, at what point in your life do you start pulling back? Like, it's not giving up. But at what point do you start to to live your life like would your partner want that for you? Right. That's that's the big question. Uh, and I mean, as as far as story goes here, you know, it, it's only been like two weeks. It's totally understandable why he's acting the way he is. But like, I, I agree. There has to be a point where he gets back or start trying to get back to normal life. Like, I wouldn't want to rush him. There's some people who are in who are you know in some sort of uh, coma and the people sit by their bed for years and and then there's other coma patients who are like yeah like i totally heard you and i was in a coma but you have no idea so i mean having people around them like osiris might hear people like who knows we don't know i mean it depends how they write the character being in the coma and we have no idea right so I mean, we have that one bow where Osiris was like totally there, like in his body, like fully aware of what was happening. And that's horrific. <laughs> like, what was that? Wolf tone draw? I think so. Yeah, I think I think that's it. Something like that. Whatever it is, it's like you don't we don't know like the yeah, circumstances, but I do know. Yeah. I didn't remember something like that. I I want Saint to not be alone. I think that's the worst thing is to be alone. Yeah. Even though like my personal, like I would want me personally, I would want to be alone. I was just not alone for like an entire week with my mom being here. And I was like, this is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't not, oh God, I haven't been like not alone like that in so long. Like, I'm so used to being alone that suddenly not being alone for an entire week was so jarring to me. Like, I couldn't do it. I was like, oh, fuck this. But, like, maybe Saint just needs to be with other people for a bit. Like, just so he gets some human interaction that isn't, like, his shell of a burb husband. And and that's what Devram realizes. Yeah. That's why Devram was pushing him, you know, come to dinner. So that Saint can have that tiny bit of human interaction, you know, conscious human interaction. The last thing I wanted to point out, I forgot where I got it, sat on a shelf in my home long before Osiris and I lived together, before he was exiled. Meaning 
they were a couple before he was exiled. Really? So how long have they been a couple? Forever? That's what it seems. So it See, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Justification! Woo! Orkin was right. Eat shit, everybody. Eat shit. <laughs> so, for one thing, it makes sense why Osiris broke time to to save Saint. Who called it? Orchid called it. But who called it? Orchid called it. I'm gonna have my own party. On the opposite side of that coin, that also means that Osiris, it, like when he was was in the process of being exiled, and he just stormed off to Mercury. That was because he was having a temper tantrum and Saint was going to retrieve his partner. <sighs> like. Osiris, you piece of shit. Right. I mean, Osiris is already a piece of shit because I'm still not going to forgive him for going to like the center of the universe to get the seed for the tree of silver wings <laughs> and not leaving a note for your fucking husband. I'm still mad about that. Oh, I was wondering when that was going to come up. I'm still mad about it. I'm still not going to fucking forgive you about that. Even Sagir is like, are you sure you don't want to tell him? He's like, nope, I'm fine. Let's go. And I'm like, I was what? so wondering when that was going to come up. Still mad. <laughs> Never going to let that go. <laughs> I'm going to be forever angry about that. Apparently. Even more so now. Wow. Apparently. Because <laughs> it's been like a year and a half, almost two years. Oh, it's been almost two years. I'm still fucking mad about that. <laughs> I could be mad about like 20,000 things at once. Oh, I believe fucking it. Fucking rube. <laughs> like, I believe it. <laughs> I'm super good at multitasking. I, <laughs> I have don't, anchor multitasking. Mm, I don't <laughs> know if that's a good thing. It is. Anger multitasking. I don't think that's a good thing. <laughs> Let's move to week three. How yes. about that? Was this the week that we got the cutscene? I believe so. Hmm. So week three, Saladin becomes a little more likable. That's not true. That's a lie. Um, a little bit. And we're also... A bit, just just a tiny bit. A skosh. Yeah. A, sk a skosh. 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 And we're privy to plenty of pillow talk between Keitel and Zavala. Now, the pillow talk is very funny. I enjoyed this part of it because Keitel's like, I'm definitely moving in. And Zavala's like, what? No, you're not. And she's like, yeah, I've already moved into the system. The system's mine now. Like, we're together. Like, I'm moving my stuff in. Hey, what's up? That's that's <laughs> the feeling I got. There was right? there, there's, there was one line at the end of uh, the PSYOPs where she talks about, you know, it's our system. And Zavala's like, whoa. Uh -huh. Like, the, the vibe I got off of Zavala was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We didn't talk about you moving in. Uh-huh. Exactly. I love that. I love that so much. And she's just like, it's our system. And he's like, it's not. 
it's not our system. It's my system. And she's like, it's our system, baby. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very funny. Um, I love the two. I love their dynamic with each other because they're both like warriors. Yeah. And they have that understanding with each other that like that ability to have that kind of like playful strength. They both have that that equal responsibility. And I think people who have that kind of power understand each other a lot better. It's a lot like people who are friends who are also like really big content creators or like famous people who are friends with other famous people, you know, who are kind of on equal footing. They understand the struggles that the other is going through. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it's really hard to be like, for example, like it's really hard for people who are, you know, not F1 drivers to like understand what F1 drivers go through. So they all tend to be friends with each other. Not only because, you know, they are with each other every other weekend, but they understand because there's only like 20 of them. Makes sense. Yeah. That they would be friends, even if they're competing against each other, like the majority of them are friends with each other. So same kind of idea. No, and and that makes sense. Yeah. They both are in a position of of leadership and Mm -hmm. they know the struggles that the other is going through. Mm hmm. Yeah. At least that's what kind of like struck me. Yeah. And it seems like they've got a healthy relationship. I think so. I don't think they really bicker with each other. If and, and if they do, it's really because they respect each other and they know that they can. And it's kind of they've created this safe space with each other where they can. Yeah. So and when you have that kind of safe space, it's because you've created that respect and that understanding yeah. So I think what they have is a good relationship. I don't know. I like Zavala and Keitel. I think they're cool. I like the two of them together. Okay. I'm going to read this next one. It's called Cold Forging. Eyes up, new lights. Shah Han spoke to the group of guardians assembled at the edge of the Cosmodrome. A field of ancient automobiles spread out behind him. The Guardians gathered at uneasy attention, fidgeting in their new armor. Han leapt onto the hood of a rusted-out car so he could be seen over the massive titans standing in the front. You may have heard they're coming for you, Han said, that the Hive God of Trickery got her claws on the light somehow, and now she's sending the toughest baddies humanity has ever faced to drain the life from your carcasses. Han shrugged. You heard right. The guardians lifted their weapons and eyed the skies warily. They're coming to the Cosmodrome because the stories they're most frightened of have their beginnings here. They want to wipe out a whole generation of guardians at its source. Han pointed at the guardians, who were still holding their weapons anxiously. They think that they can hit you while you're all still green, before you've got your feet under you. They think you'll go down easy. A haggard crow, cawing harshly, rose from somewhere within the sea of twisted metal. Hans smiled and pulled a small canister from his belt, gave it a sharp twist and tossed it carelessly into the row of cars behind him. The guardians leaned forward in anticipation, but nothing happened. And that's where they're wrong, he continued. They have the light, same as you. 
They're strong, same as you. But you kicked your way out of your coffins right here in the heart of old Russia, like so many of the greats before you. And you found yourself in the vanguard. Khan waited for a moment as if tasting the air. And being part of the vanguard, that means something. The most powerful warriors the world has ever known are here for you. Ikora, Zavala, Saladin, Shax, Saint-14, the guardians who have driven the hive back into their holes again and again. They're up in the tower and they have your back. Show them you're willing to fight for the vanguard and they'll show you things you wouldn't believe. You'll learn how to weave a shield out of starlight. You'll learn how to wield a blade as hot as the sun. Behind him, a sudden explosion sent a geyser of dirt and rusted metal high into the air. The startled guardians huddled together. And you'll learn the importance of trip mine grenades. Unfinished as he turned. Through the settling dust, he could make out the crumpled remains of a lucent hive knight. One second, he said. He crept toward the remains, shot his hand into the clearing smoke, and withdrew it with a hive ghost squirming in his fist. The ghost's sharp shell dug into Han's palm. Red blood flowed down over its flickering green iris. You're all going to die here, it hissed. Han leapt back onto the hood of the car, still holding the ghost tightly. Ghosts are tough to kill, both ours and theirs, he said. It takes overwhelming firepower or a special kind of weapon. Something outside the laws of cause and effect. Something paracausal. Han fixed his gaze on the assembled guardians and crushed the ghost in his fist. It burst in a flash of bubbling flame. Something like us, Han said, like you. A roar echoed from the distant forest. Dark flames erupted from the tree line as wizards took to the sky. The ground shook as a clot of bellowing ogres tore across the field, flinging the remains of ruined cars aside as they charged. You, shouted Han over the cacophony, each and every one of you are weapons chosen by the light. And sure, so are these Hive, and they're every bit as strong as you, when you're alone. But being part of the Vanguard, Han turned towards the Hive army. His gun began to glow a brilliant gold. That means you're never alone. And when the Lucent Hive reached Shahan, eager to feast on the new lights, they met the Vanguard instead. This feels like a mix of, like, propaganda and Braveheart. This is pure propaganda and, like, <laughs> uh, uh, Shahan. Okay, whenever I go see him, I call him Astacross. I never call him Shahan yeah. because his name is just Astacross to me. Yeah. <laughs> So me reading this, I'm like, Astacross did this. And so like me in my mind as I'm reading, I'm like, he, 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 he. There were a few spots I can't that, take him. that you read a little slower. And I'm like, that's I, what's happening. My, I can't take him seriously. Like, I keep trying to. 
Like every time I see him, I try to take him seriously. I really do. But man, that guy. So the new lights take him seriously. Yeah, I know. And, and then they grow up. Well, and, and that's primarily because like he helped build a ramp for them. Oh my god, I love the ramp. I think it's so cute that he did that. My headcanon is that he saw New Lights struggling to get into the Lost Sector, so he built the ramp. Oh no, my headcanon is that someone else built the ramp because he couldn't make it into the Lost Sector. <laughs> so they're like, oh, Shahan, you can't make it into the Lost Sector? One sec, let me build you a ramp, my dude. <laughs> I got you. Oh, and, and see... I was thinking the opposite. He saw so many new lights that could not get up there that he was like, all right, I need to deal with this. That's because they can't figure their jumps out. Right. Right. Exactly. So they need a ramp. But all of us could figure it out in D1. That lost lost sectors weren't a thing back in D1. Yeah, but you could still jump up there. Either way. A lot of this was propaganda, and it also felt like a Braveheart-esque speech. It was very, it felt like, oh god, what did it feel like? Independence Day? Yes! Yes! It felt like standing on the, on the, on the box or something, like Independence Day, like the aliens are coming, and we have to, we have to get them before (laughs) they get us, Independence Day. Today, we celebrate... Our Independence Day. Yes. Independence Day. We have to go get the aliens before they get us. Yes. You're sacrificing yourself for the greater good. You're saving humanity. I love that movie, by the way. (laughs) Independence Day is so good. Yeah. It's so good. Welcome to Earth. (laughs) Look out, boys. I'm back. Oh, my God. Um, So good. But yeah, it 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 felt very preachy. It felt felt very propagandish. Um, I think he did what he felt a vanguard would do, but I don't think Ikora or Zavala or Cade would ever do this, right? Or any vanguard. I don't think a single person who was ever a vanguard would ever do something like this. I agree. <laughs> But he did it because he felt like they should do it. Well, and and question mark. And there's also the fact that this was this was specifically the week that we got the Cosmodrome. Oh no, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This was the week after we got the Cosmodrome um, psyops. I like the Cosmodrome one because the Cosmodrome psyops came up in, in uh, week two. So we had just finished that one, and then this was the very next week. And it's at this point that I want to point out that the Hive, even though they are, you know, Hive light bearers, they Mm -hmm. are harvesting light from Guardians. True. Did they go down with a squad of nine? Exactly. Sorry. It's just like whenever I hear someone's like harvesting light, like my brain immediately is like they went down with a squad of nine. <laughs> it's it's like a disease. God, they went down as a squad of nine to take care of a couple of knights and a freaking shrieker. 
Like, how? How did they die? Were they just that bad? Uh, anyway, anyway. Should I continue on? Yeah, you probably should. Because it's before they put a cap on some sort of summoning spell. The whole thing is being powered by <laughs> void light. The hive are calling something to Titan. No wonder they don't want company. God. Someone there. Week is anyone four. there? I just heard somebody. Can you hear me? Week four. Okay. Crow accidentally kills a scion while trying to turn off the psionic machine. Uh-huh. Because of that, Zavala was a, a he was about to throw down with Kyatal because she wanted Crow's death. Saladin, yeah, that's true. Saladin stepped in and gave himself to Kyatal in exchange for Crow's life. And he ends up getting... I have the actual line he said. Yeah? Do you want me to say it? Yeah. Okay, here's the line. Got picked off one by one. Watched a wizard rip the light out of my best oh, friend God. and funnel into some kind of crystal. <laughs> Get wrecked. <sighs> Fuck you. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> so Saladin gave himself to Kyle in exchange for Crow's life, and he ends up getting a promotion to Brockus Forge. He gets pulled into Kyle's war council. That's see, he wouldn't have if he had been turned into void light. And this is entry four, shut down. Crow pulled up his hood and watched as the Guardian ship roared out of the hangar to race after Kaidal's flagship on the way to the Scarlet Keep. He kept to the shadows as he made his way up to the helm, pushing through the throngs in the bazaar with an easy grace, inconspicuous even in his recognizable garb. His light movements belied the twist of guilt in his stomach. Saladin had requested him to handle recon on the mission. Yet, here he was, creeping instead through the tower like a common thief. There would be consequences, of course. But he could accept that. We all have to make sacrifices, he thought. He held his breath as he opened the doors to the Sisorium. As they clicked shut behind him, he threw back his hood and allowed himself a sigh and a smile. Crow looked up at the lucent hive suspended in the holding tanks. Not dead, but certainly not alive. The Scion sat in its chair, twitching faintly, its long fingers moving as though tracing through water. Pulses of blue energy radiated out from the Scion's skull and into the depths of the machine. I've got some good news, Crow said pleasantly to the Scion as he passed. The Scion, as always, said nothing. Crow didn't mind. It probably took all its energy to keep the Hive preserved well enough to skim through their memories. This war is over, thanks to you. Crow continued. They sent the Guardian, and when the Guardian sets out to do something, it gets done. 
The skin on his neck prickled at the, an old memory. Believe me. Crow approached a display interface covered in cabal runes. He paged through menus until he saw the familiar vanguard symbol nestled in a corner. He pressed it, and the language on the screen changed. He shook his head in wonder. Imagine what we'll be able to make in the future when we're not busy squeezing secrets from the hive. Crow frowned, looking up at the holding tanks. After all this ugliness is behind us, he said, and resumed scrolling through the menus. Now, how do we shut this thing down? He found his answer in a hidden directory of commands. Security. Override. Shutdown. Immediate. He paused for a moment, imagining what Saladin's reaction would be. But he, of all people, should understand. After all, Crow said quietly to himself, the right path isn't always the easy to find. Crow executed the command. He walked toward the Scion as the lights on the machine began to turn red in sequence. Let's get you out of here, friend, he said as the Scion began to stir. It blinked slowly and opened its eye. Crow smiled and waved. Good morning, he said. Would you like to get some ramen? The pulsing current running through the tubes in the back of the Scion's head slowed and Crow winced as a white-hot pinpoint of pain stabbed into his mind, shrieking a single word, clear and impossibly loud. STOP! The machine sputtered. Sparks erupted from the central hub. Cracks spiderwebbed across the holding tanks. Electricity arced from the control panel, and Crow staggered backwards. Without warning, the energy current in the tubes suddenly reversed. Waves of blue quickly flowed back toward the Scion. He was pulling at the cables connecting him to the chair when the first blast of feedback hit him. His body spasmed with pain. Wave after wave of psionic energy pounded into the base of the Scion's skull. His muscles stood out in sharp relief as he pulled against the cables, his hand desperate claws. His face stretched with terror. The pulses thrummed faster and faster, and the scion began to scream. A high, thin noise. He beat at his own head with one spindly hand and reached the other toward Crow. Crow reached back as another wave of energy hit the scion, bursting his retina, turning his eye into a muddy black sphere. Crow recoiled in horror his mind pierced by unimaginable pain, and he fell to the floor in a heap. The machine groaned, hissing smoke, the holding tanks boiling, the hive bodies inside dancing grotesquely in the roiling fluid. The blaring sirens began to overpower the hoarse, sustained screaming. Something snapped inside the machine, and it shuddered to a stop. And, finally, silence. Wow. This is really intense. Yeah. Like, there's, um, it's just so much. Like, they really painted that image. 
they really did. There's very little left to the imagination in this. <laughs> um, actually, the visual that I really like um, is the description of what happens to the machine after the stop. Because you can actually like really see it in your mind. Like, I think it's actually just really. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's just like really well done. Oh, absolutely. He should have been looking for some readmes or, you know, instruction manuals or something, though. Because, like, me being... Yeah, but who really reads those, though? Well, but, like, so so me being a computer guy, I see, you know, mm -hmm. security override shutdown immediate. And I'm like, that's probably not a good idea. You don't know what it's going to do to the machine. It, like... To me, that sounds almost like just pulling the plug. And that's like, I, I, that's. We see what it led nothing to. Nothing good ever comes from that. Yeah, nothing good ever comes from just pulling the plug. Like, even right. I know that. Right. Yeah. Like, like, don't do that. In every media that you've, you see somebody just yell out, you know, just pull the plug. It, it, nothing good comes from it. And it just like in real life, nothing good comes from just pulling the plug without safely turning shit off. And that's what I'm getting at is that it, it's just he should have been poking around a little more to find how to safely turn it off. And we see that he he didn't. Like he was probably pressed on time, which is why he he found this and was like, all right, that's it. But still. And even more than that, like, he should have been talking to Saladin about it. I mean, he knew how Saladin was was standing argument-wise. You know, yeah, we should be using the Lucent Hive that we've captured in order to protect everybody else. But at this point, we pretty much know what's going on with the Hive because we've killed Savathun and we've, we've done all that stuff by this point like this is week four i'm looking at this and i'm like there's a lot of things that should have gone into the decision making that didn't it seems like communication is um not ever a priority with anybody ever you're not wrong like our communication with savathun was never a priority the communication between the vanguard is always bad the communication with uh between crow and saladin is garbage like trash tier garbage no no i i will give you the last two the the savathun one that was her doing it wasn't though because we could have we could have decided oh hey you have the light maybe we should just ask first she still manipulated us after she got rezzed Right. Or we could have just asked. And what would she have done? Shot at us? Like the last hundred times? Oh no. All I'm saying is she made her bed and it's understandable why we came in the way we did. Right. Whether you agree on it or not is totally up to you. But like it's understandable why we came in the way we did. True. 
I don't know. For me, I'd rather have, you know, had more talking and less just shooting. But this is a shooter. So we just do the shooting, you know, instead of the talking. Less of the talky talk and more of the shooty shoot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know that stuff. Yeah. So should we go on to the last one? Sounds good. Okay, so this was week five. So we got a message from Keitel about Saladin being promoted to Valis in three days. Like, what is even the Cabal hierarchy doing? Like, are they all that bad? Don't know. Um, Also, he set up the Cabal Iron Banner, calling them Iron War Beasts. Like, I guess he has to have Iron Banner or he can't survive. Uh, Also, what would their Iron Banner armor even look like? It's probably super awesome. And I want it now. Oh, I I agree. Their Iron Banner armor is probably much better than ours. Yeah, it's probably super bomb and I want it. (laughs) Can I have it, please? As for the Iron Banner, like the Cabal Iron Banner, Mm -hmm. he mentioned to Kaidal that like he wants to keep doing the Iron Banner for the Guardians. That is his primary thing. And she's like, all right, you do it for the Cabal as well. So like... She brought it to the cabal. Right. Just wanted to point that out. That's all. Like they're becoming like more and more integrated with our community. I I'm surprised that we don't have like her cabal in our tower. TBH. Yeah. Just a few NPCs. Yeah, I'm really surprised because we have um those two elixir that are crowded or, around the vending machine. Yeah. We don't have the Elixni, um place that we can go to anymore, do we? Nope. That's too bad. I liked going and visiting them. If anything, just to like go back to um, the, the Scourge, Scourge area so I could run around in it again. Yeah, I liked running around in there. <laughs> so I could be like, I'm a cap. <laughs> C-A-P. Mm-hmm. Second damage phase. We ever called it Pack. Yeah, whoever called it Pack is a serial killer. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Literally nobody called it that. It's Cap. Or Green Room, if you want to call it Green Room. But, like, I don't... Like, I don't know why we don't have them in the tower. If they're our friends, and they're wearing blue, so we know that they're hers, even though we shot at them during um, the very first mission that we had. Oops. You know? Like, we should have a couple. Oh, 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 you're, yeah, you're talking about the actual, like, Witch Queen first mission. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because she came and yelled at us, remember? Yep. And was like, the fuck, guys? And we're like, sorry, we're bad. Now, now, in our defense, I tried walking past them. They shot at me first. In my defense, I wasn't paying attention because I see a cabal and I shoot at them. <laughs> Years of training. So I definitely shot at them and killed them first. That was my bad. I was not paying attention. I definitely killed them first. Hear that, everybody? Orchid shot first. <laughs> uh, Orchid shot Orchid definitely shot first. Star Wars <laughs> joke. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to read this thing. This is five. Right Proven. Saladin hears Keitel's voice boom over the endless drone of the Imperial cruiser's engines. 
Grains of bloodied sand trickle from the ceiling of the cabal-sized elevator and fall against his helm as he rides up to the brightly lit arena floor. Gurn O'Rourke, Valis in the Empress's service. You challenge the Iron Lord Saladin Forge, Rockus in the Empress's service. You outrank this man. Her words circled as spectator stands, sending a hush through the gathered crew. As it should be, O'Rourke, his challenger, stands not ten paces in front of him. Keitel presses. Why challenge him? Did this man slight you? O'Rourke turns to her, kicking up sand. He walks our halls, trains our soldiers, and shares our meals as if he is Cabal. That slights. He is not Cabal. I'm not the only one to say so. Saladin looks to Kaidal. He'd attempted to stop this, tried to staunch unnecessary violence with reason. But tradition is not so easily denied. Earlier. This is ridiculous. Killing your officers only weakens us. Saladin stepped toward Kaidal. Even seated in her chambers, her eyes were level with his. Funny how our perspectives have shifted since we first met, Kaidal grunted. Why are you humoring this? Quieting rebellious words does not weaken us. It binds authority in blood. Keitel looked back to myriad deity pads on her desk. If he submits, no one has to die. <sighs> that seems likely, Saladin quipped sarcastically. I'm going to do that again. <laughs> that seems likely, Saladin quipped sarcastically. Keitel stood. He wants you stripped of your rank and made to clean war beast pens. Indefinitely. And that is worth his life? I know pride isn't a foreign concept to you, Lord. Keitel spat out his title and walked past him. Saladin sneered. The Empress turned to him as she opened her chamber doors, ushering him out. What if you lose? He huffed so hard he almost choked. Now. Keitel nods to Saladin, to O'Rourke. They nod back. When the right of proving was conceived, it was to be a level field of battle. We honor that tradition here. Keitel slams a fist down for emphasis before pointing to the arena floor. Single combat by blades. One life, no light. Death or submission determines the victor. The crowd erupts in roars as a weapon rack rises from the floor. O'Rourke lifts a heavy cleaver from the rack. Saladin sees his own axe there. He glares at Kaidal for taking it without permission and lifts the axe. With weapons drawn, the rite of proving begins. O'Rourke lunges and thrusts the cutting edge of his cleaver towards Saladin's ribs. Saladin sidesteps the massive cabal blade and bats it down with the haft of his axe. The two test each other's range and speed with a series of back and forth, half committed strikes, until O'Rourke gains favorable footing and bursts forward to swing at Saladin's waist. 
Saladin narrowly tumbles over the cleaver. Sparks of contact spit from his leg guards. He lands on his knees and jabs the blunt head of his axe against O'Rourke's exposed throat. This is your one chance to yield, Saladin says as the Vallis sputters for air and stumbles backwards. O'Rourke's coughs turn to laughter. He kicks up a cloud of sand and leaps with his cleaver brandished overhead. Saladin wipes granules from his visor and raises his axe to block O'Rourke's heavy swing. The Iron Lord absorbs the shock and controls O'Rourke's blade, sliding down to catch on the axe head and pivoting the weapon's heavy pommel to butt O'Rourke hard in the face. O'Rourke staggers away and slashes wildly, spitting Saladin's visor and drawing blood. The Iron Lord throws his ruined helm to the ground and wipes blood. He advances, ducking under a deterring swing, parries a second chop away, and severs the Vallis's hand. Yield! Saladin growls as blood pours onto the sand. O'Rourke looks to him, to the cleaver still clutched in his detached hand, and back to Saladin. Never to you. He dives for the cleaver. Saladin swings, catching O'Rourke's jaw, spewing blood. O'Rourke tenses for a moment, then falls limp. The Iron Lord sighs and wrenches his axe free. Painted as a warrior in the eyes of the Cabal. Cheers erupt. Kayadal's voice cuts through the frenzied crowd. Rise, Vallis Forge. Like, as much as I don't... As much as I, I'm, I'm having issues with Saladin... Since this is the way they're going with Saladin, I actually like how they're they went. Like if if I'm being pigeonholed into, you know, this is how the character is going to be, I actually like where they're going with him. Yeah. It's still a complete 180 from how his character previously was. So ironically, he went from Brachus, which is the lowest known command rank in the Cabal Legions, up to Valis, which is the third highest rank. That's a quite a jump. With Dominus being the highest position, which is literally the emperor or empress or, you know, somebody of that level. So, like, he made quite the jump. Now, granted, there's only, like, six commanding officer ranks, but still. Still, though. Yeah. I mean, come on. Like, he got brought in at the lowest, rank one, and now he's three ranks higher from just a single That's, battle. Um, pretty good. Yeah. And and this was strictly like, this came about strictly because of a, you know, oh, you killed a Valis, you are now a Valis. Right. You killed somebody who had the title, you have now earned that title. Mm -hmm. Which... Makes a lot of sense, knowing that the Cabal are very militaristic, very, like, it just, it makes sense that it works this way. I did kind of like the back and forth battle between the two of them. I thought it was interesting. At the same time, I don't know, like, I felt like this entry was completely unnecessary. <laughs> 
out of all of them, I'm like, yeah, okay. He's like, did a right of proving or whatever. Good job. Well, and, and I think this was more to explain the audio message of, you know, Saladin being promoted to Valis in three days. Right. Because without knowing this battle happened and this is why the outcome was the way it was. I know I sat there and I was like, wait, he got promoted to Valis after three days. Are the Cabal just that lazy? Are they just no, that No, I figured bad? he just kicked somebody off the side of the tower, just like he did the other <laughs> guy. Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just figured that's how he just gets ahead in life. He just, you know, kills whoever he wants to take the job of. Would you take a look at that view and then boot to the ass? Like the Klingons do. They're like, if you want to be captain, you got to kill your captain. And that's how they get ahead. So, same thing. I just figured that's how they did it. Damn. Yeah. I like Kyatl. And I like her her interactions with, like, Zavala and her interactions just in general. But the Cabal themselves just, like, so don't interest me in the slightest. Like, I could not give half a fuck about them. Because there's a lot of nuances and, and a lot of small details when it comes to Kai at all. Yeah, she's super awesome. Like as a character, right. I'm really interested in her and I'm really interested in like, I loved her book that we did and what made her into the leader that she is today and like how her father shaped her and like all the little bits and pieces we learned about Tor Bottle from that book. And, um, like her leadership style and you know i think every god what is it um and, and for anybody listening that was empress you can find part one at episode 106 and part two at 107 thank you yeah 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 but like knowing all of that and actually um her mindscape from from chapter one of quintessence that we just read a lot of that goes over things that we read in empress which is really interesting and that kind of touches on a couple bits and pieces from empress and we didn't talk about that but um it does kind of go with empress a little bit yeah so like i think that's very interesting and like she as a character is interesting to me like the cabal in general though i don't give a fuck at least currently i don't not as much as i like care more about the fallen but maybe that's just because like that's the way they've been written to like more tear at your heartstrings and i don't know if it's just because like the fallen were given babies i think that's like literally why well so the one thing I'm going to point out is that the Cabal are very two-dimensional. They are. They're they're all about fighting, all about, you know, avenging their their fallen homeworld. And outside of that, there's there's nothing. It it's just a lot of aggression. With the Elixni, it's a whole other story. I mean, we got Namrask with his weaving. We got they have like little stories. We got like the, the engineer, what his whatever his name was that made the oh my god the that turned the, the smoker steamer into like 
the smoker into the sparrow uh-huh. and like we got all the bedtime stories and we have all this like this rich tapestry of like elixney stuff and we know that they take their broken eggs and like put gold in them to like fix their their broken pieces and put them back together again yeah. like when a child has died Kintsugi. yeah and that goes hand in hand with what they do for guardians as well. They that that's also a practice that guardians do for other like broken things. So that's something that like binds guardians and Elixni kind of together because it's there's two very similar practices. Like we don't have anything in common with the cabal really. We like to fight stuff. Okay. And and I th- I think that right there is the the problem with the cabal is that we've been given all these little stories that have humanized the elixir. Yeah. We haven't gotten anything like that. To the point that they were in refugee camps and we were helping them out. Right. And they taught us how to be splicers and like we have all these missives between like Mithrax and like Varix and right. you know we like read their mail to each other, <laughs> you know, like, like we have, we have so late much night. You're open booty calls. <laughs> They're talking about eyelashes and shit. Like... <laughs> do it, Rindle. It's been a while. No, don't do it. Don't do it. Oh, but you see. The best part about being the editor on this podcast is the simple fact that I can throw in a drop and no one can stop me. All I need to do is pull out the microphone and suddenly we have... Varix making a booty call to Misrax, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's it's been we've had all these things, and we don't have that with the Cabal, and right. I feel like we even know the Hive more because we've had even in like the the last episode we just did Savathun had that had that really great exchange with the little thrall when she's talking to him and she's and she's talking at him and she's talking at him and he's like whoa slow down like i don't get this and she's like it's okay like i'm just talking at you i'm not talking with you and he's like okay you know like i'm fine with it (laughs) like that humanizes savathun and humanizes this thrall she's talking with and that is not something that we have with the Cabal. Right. The only and the only character in the Cabal that's really been humanized, besides Callus and his the the Chronicon is fucking bonkers. Like that was my first episode on this show. Was the Chronicon. Yeah. Go back and listen to my first episode on the Shane and listen to Chronicon. I don't even know what episode that was. Um but the chronicon um episodes like that episode 41 and 42 41 and 42 um the chronicon like kind of humanized callus a bit 
because that was just his fan fiction. And like Empress really humanized Kaidal because it showed her her struggles with learning how to f- to pilot and showed her her childhood and everything else. And so like we don't have anything else. That's that's all we have. So I mean They've... that leads into did you enjoy the book? Right. I mean or should be should be more like did you enjoy the season? Because the season was short. I, I think that's actually a better way to word it, yeah. Did you enjoy I, the seasonal story? Because it's more about like enjoying the story. This is a supplement to the seasonal story, and right. it's not just reading the story. It's right. did you enjoy the seasonal story? So as far as Crow's story, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. I love the fact that he's he's still dealing with the trauma of having all of Alderan's memories just stuffed back into him. So, like, he saw all the horrific things that Aldrin did, and because that's the same body, you know, obviously it was me, so I'm a monster too. And and he's looking at the Lucent Hive, who we've called monsters, and he's like, if they're a monster, then so am I. He's drawing these parallels between himself and the enemy, and I'm loving that. It's creating such a weird but awesome dynamic. That being said, the Saladin portion of it, like I said earlier, I don't like the fact that they just 180 turned Saladin into this other character. But since this is the route we're getting pigeonholed into, I actually like how they led him down this this specific path. The fact that, you know, he's now a, a Valis. He's in charge of two different Iron Banners. So, like, I, I'm just... I I like the fact that he's becoming more. And he's leaning into the aggression. I'm making the most of how it's being dealt. What about you? Um, I definitely agree with you on the Crow thing. Um, that was probably the highlight of this season. And I really identify with that while playing Witch Queen itself. I had a really hard time. I still have a really hard time like crushing ghosts and calling them monsters because a part of me thinks like, why would the traveler give them light if they're really that bad? Right. Why would why would Savathun get light if she's really that bad? Like, she's a trickster. Yeah, she's trashed here garbage. Yeah, but, like, there has to be something, like, redeemable about her if she was, like, granted the light. I'm not saying the Traveler is good. I'm, I've am i been on team, like, Traveler is evil since the beginning. <laughs> and, like, I've been on team, like, ghosts are pretty evil, too, since the beginning. But that doesn't mean that I want to kill them. Like, I, we have the technology to catch them and not kill them. And like, I don't know if there's like a finite number of ghosts. I assume there are, oh, there are. So uh, why are we killing all of them? Yeah. Like that's wrong. Isn't that like ghost genocide? You're just killing ghosts because they're, they're not on your side. Like that's bullshit. I'm sorry. Yeah. I get that it's wrong, but at the same time, like we have the ability to catch ghosts. Like, the what the praxic order does it all the time that's like literally their jobs we could have easily turned this into destiny version of pokemon yeah 
gotta catch them all. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the Praxic Order has the ability to catch ghosts. We had the ability to neutralize ghosts. We saw it last season or two seasons ago. Three, but yeah. When they three was it three seasons ago when they tried to like kill Zavala yep. and they caught his ghost in the thing. Yep. Like we have the technology. So why are we not using it? It's easily reproducible. We have the gun. It's so frustrating. Like, I hate that they have this mentality of, like, kill first, ask questions later, because it feels like we're a bunch of apes sitting on, like, a sitting in a cave like hitting two rocks together like when we literally have like a fucking spaceship sitting outside and like you assholes are sitting in there just like breaking shit apart like come on like rub the last two brain cells we have and like come up with a different fucking solution i know you can do it destiny writers like not everything has to be so black and white and like Oh, well, we have to we have to break them because, you know, it has to be black and white and they're evil and and we're not. But, you know, we have to be evil, too, because because it's the way we're writing it. Like, no, like you could have chosen to do it a different way. And it's really frustrating. It, uh, it makes me mad. I, so I get that. I see why um, Crow's frustrated because I'm frustrated. Yeah. Like, I'm, like, kind of big mad about it still. I can tell. And, like, don't get me fucking started about the worm gun. Because I will not shut up about it. So did I enjoy the book? I mean, I enjoyed <laughs> the book. The book is a really good supplement to this really weak season. We've had better seasons. Yeah. Like, season of the Splicer is really, really good. Oh, my God, yes. Like, out of the last, like, number of seasons we've had... In like the last like I'll I'll limit it to like two years so we don't go back too far. I would say like if we limited it to like Beyond Light, I'd say that like Season of the Splicer is probably the strongest season we've had. And this just pales in comparison. Like easily pales. I, I agree with so. that. So it's really hard to come from that season, even though it was a couple seasons ago, and then come into this. And be like, oh, yeah, here's this. Mm. Like, OK, I really like the activity. The activity is a lot of fun. I like going through like the mind train and like one of them is like literally a mind train. Like one of them is. Yeah, it's like you you have like you're following like a train of thought and it's like a literally a train. <laughs> Do you get it? I get it's a it. Pun. I get it. Uh-huh. They made a they built a pun into the game. It's funny. <laughs> Designers are funny, Elemist. <laughs> oh, I need to go back and do some of the psyops so that I can actually see that. Yeah, it's from the first one. The EDZ one. Okay. Yeah, it's a train of thought. <laughs> Literally. That's my friend pointed it out to me because he's giggling the whole time. <laughs> and that was funny. But yeah, I don't know. I, Saladin has not been redeemed in my eyes. Agreed. Like, I know this was supposed to be like, we're just trying to make you understand like where he's coming from. And we didn't really talk about the black and white ink 
splatter. Because that's related to a whole other lore book. Yeah. But, I mean, it it was part of the seasonal yeah. story. So, I mean, like, we could mention it. It, like, it, it did pop up. It happened during week three. Yeah. Saladin going and, like, rescuing a girl, and she ends up becoming her own, like, warlord and doing a big old bunch of murders and everybody dying, and then he regretting saving this one person because she ends up being worse than the people that he killed to save her or something. Yep. So he's like, you shouldn't save people and be weak because then you're just going to get bitten in the ass. Like, compassion will kill you. Is like the lesson he learned from that. And I'm like, what the fuck kind of lesson is that? It's not like, it's not the dark times anymore. Like, dickweed. Like, that's not how things are done anymore. <laughs> like, I get that that's where you're coming from. But that doesn't give you... That's not an excuse to kick scions off the fucking wall of the city. Like, and that's not an excuse to, like, put scions in, like, a torture machine. Or, like, loosen hive in a torture machine. That doesn't mean we just, like, crush ghosts because you want to. That doesn't give you an excuse to be a fucking monster. I don't care who you are. Like, be better. The exact phrase that was used during that cutscene was, Mercy to an enemy cannot come at the cost of mercy for their victims. The right path isn't always easy to find. But once you do, the only question is whether you're strong enough to walk it. Bitch, you didn't find the right path, Saladin. Your right path got everyone killed. Well, and, and you were you were bad at finding the right path. And like your right path was wrong. And that's that's where he learned that lesson. Yeah, but I feel like the lesson he learned was don't help anybody ever. Yeah. Like his is like I feel like his is don't help anybody because then people are just going to die. So fuck it. Yeah. Like, that's not the lesson to learn from this. So in, in case you haven't figured it out, listeners, that's going to be a very uh, charged episode. <laughs> I uh, Stupid salad and piece of shit. <laughs> so Orchid. What? Shout outs. Shout out to my partner who uh, is moving in with me. Congrats. Thank you. In like several weeks. And you get to add a whole other level of stress to your life. Yay. I'm so excited. <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm sure everything's going to be fine. Um, yeah. It's stress. <laughs> I'm very excited. Also it's very it's, stressed. It's only going to be stressful for the first month. Once, once yeah. you both find that new rhythm, everything will be fine. Yeah. I mean, he's going to GCX, so and I'm going to be left with the dog for a couple of weeks. You'll be fine. So... He's well. He has to get all his art stuff there and back, so he's driving, and it's gonna be like a huge thing. So, it's, it's, it's a, it's a thing. It's a huge thing. So, we'll figure You'll it out. Fine. It's gonna be good though. 
I hope so. What about you? What's your shout out? I've got faith in you. Oh, God. Some, at least somebody does. <laughs> Jeez Louise. I don't. Um, shout out to my partner. She actually let me know earlier tonight that she listened to the past two episodes. So she got to hear me gab about her making my, my character and, and talking about her and everything. So, yeah. Oh, and shout out to my work buddy, John. <gasps> John, hi! He's been helping me keep my sanity. You know, I, I had a lot of great stuff happen in this past week, but it's it's been a lot. Uh, so it's just, it, it's nice to to have somebody to just talk with about everything. And like I, I talk with you and Rindle about it, but everybody's schedules are hectic, and he's that single friend, so I know he's available. How's your Minecraft uh, city coming? We need to get back to that. We've been playing. Have you not been playing Minecraft? We've been playing a bunch of other games. Oh, I thought you were playing Minecraft. We still have the Minecraft server up, but uh, we started playing the forest. Today we were playing Far Cry 5. It's just whatever we happen to want to do. Whether it's literally shooting the shit or if it's stressful building kind of day or if it's just a Minecraft building kind of day. So depends on how things are IRL. But anywho, hmm. this is the part of the episode we like to give a special thanks. Yeah, yeah. The audio for this episode was produced by Rindle Zivas. You can find him on Twitter at Rindle Zivas. The artwork for this episode is courtesy of Volshock B on Twitter. That's at Volshock B. The music in this episode is copyright Bungie. We're able to use it under the fair use policy because they love their content creators. Do they? I keep wondering that every single week. Uh, considering they're trying to find. 10 people who were really screwing up their content creators. Mm, sus. I'm still waiting for the resolution on that. That's going to be fun. Man, I cannot wait for right? it. Right. <laughs> right. I am. You got to keep watching for I that. I am not going to forget. Uh, man. Nope. I'm going to keep watching. Gotta, we got to do the update soon. <laughs> uh, and if you'd like to dive into Destiny Lore on your own, visit ishtar-collective.net. They are the resource we use to, to make our show notes. Thank you, Baxter. Thank you, Baxter. Final reminders. You can find us on Twitter at Guardians underscore Lore, at Hayed's Orchid, or at I underscore am underscore Elemist. You can email us at Guardians underscore Lore at Outlook.com. You can leave us a review wherever you find the podcast. And if you do, let us know about it. And you can do that by joining our Discord. The invite is down in the episode description, but if you'd like to actually just type it out, it's discord.gg slash lorehub. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit ko-fi.com slash guardians underscore lore. Every little bit helps, and we appreciate it tremendously. Thank you. So, Orchid, say goodbye. Goodbye, Elemis. Goodbye. Otters. Are wet. <laughs>
What? Otters are wet. Naughty. They're in water. Oh, that's what you meant. Oh, whoa. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye.